0: Tonight, the message is entitled, The Nature of God. We're going to use selected scriptures, and um, we're continuing our series on the God of the Bible and his attributes. As we examine the past and present history of man, it reveals the many twisted and distorted views about God, such as the Greek concept um, regarding the nature of their gods. Have you ever done any studying on that? They portray them as an extension of mortal man, deities that were often more sensual and depraved and deceiving and greedy than man himself. In the sequel to the Humanist Manifesto, one, Manifesto two says this. This is, you can look it up on the internet. This is their declaration. I'm quoting The Secular Humanist Declaration, 1981, says, We consider the universe to be a dynamic scene of natural forces that are most effectively understood by scientific inquiry. We find that traditional views of the existence of God either are meaningless, have not yet been demonstrated to be true, or are tyrannically exploitative. Secular humanists believe that men and women are free and are responsible for their own destiny, and that they cannot look towards some transcendent being for salvation. That's pretty clearly anti-God and (laughs) anti-Bible. There's no wiggle room there. They want nothing to do with God, the humanist. Any of you brought forth by man to communicate God and his nature will always be wrong. Because it's not based upon the only source of revelation about God by God himself, the Bible. God cannot be known unless he reveals himself. We've seen this over and over again. And so he tells us who he is, what he's done, and how he can be approached. He tells us how. And so we want to study the nature of God by looking at three aspects regarding the nature of God tonight. Uh, First, the erroneous views of the nature of God. We're not going to do exhaustive, but we will see enough of them. Second, the biblical view of the nature of God. We'll see the contrast. And we'll finish up with the scriptural view of the personal nature of God, which is distinct from any other gods, that they declare to be gods, but there are no gods at all. So the erroneous views of the nature of God, though there are many, here are a few of them. There is the erroneous view of polytheism. Polytheism is the belief and worship of many gods, all having different powers and authorities. Um, the persons of Adam and Eve knew only one God, called monotheism. And after the fall, the world corrupted itself into the worship of many gods, which, are, which is polytheism. Genesis 4, 26, 11, 4, the Tower of Babel. Okay, Now, those of you who have gone through university... Okay? You know they taught you that the world began with many gods and it refined into one God? That's backwards. The Bible says the world began with the knowledge of one God and perverted and corrupted itself into many gods that are no gods at all. Just the reverse. As we stated in our study last week, the Bible denies this for in Isaiah God says, Isaiah 44.6, I am the first, I am the last, and besides me there is no God. What is it that we don't understand from that statement? Very clear. The first two chapters of the Genesis declared loudly that one God he created everything. Therefore, man is not to fear or worship the creation as a deities. The sun is for our benefit, the moon for night, all the creations for man, the benefit of man. Not to fear it or to worship it. Very clear. We have examples in the Old Testament of such practices by the heathen of the land. Let me give you some. In Exodus 12, 12, God said, and against all the gods, small g's, when it's plural, small g, all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. God execute judgment. When the plagues came, it was executing judgment because those, God, those were considered gods, and he proved them to be no gods at all. The plagues were judgments against the gods, They worshiped such as the Nile, the frog, the lice, and so on and so on. The men of Syria, if you remember in 1 Kings 20, 23, said they had lost the battle to Israel due to their gods. They were the gods of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than they. But they said, let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. Gods of the hills, gods of the valleys, gods of the plains. It's a competition. The contest on Mount Carmel, if you remember, between the prophets of Baal and the prophet of God, Elijah, settled who the one true God was, Yahweh. You have Dagon, you have Baal, you have Molech, you have Ashtoreth, and many, many others. Different gods. Most of them gods of nature. Many of them gods of, of fertility, with fertility rights, corruption. Um, you have that whole industry today, the adult industry, fertility gods. It's, it, 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 it's a lifestyle, it's, it's a belief. Examples in the New Testament, Paul saw the many gods and temples, even to the unknown god, and told them they were very religious in Acts 17. I've seen all these gods, and I, I, mean, I want to talk to you about the, the unknown god, I want to tell you who he is, <laughs> and he points them to Jesus Christ. In other words, the Athenians, they didn't want to miss any god, so then they put one to the unknown god, just in case we miss one. If you come out of the Catholic religion, if you come from Mexico and stuff like that, you know you have shrines and virgins and saints and everything else all over the place. You want to make sure you have everything. You have your scapular, you have your rosary, you have your medals, you have your whatever. Okay? Just in case. Then you walk away and you have a rabbit's foot in the back pocket and a horseshoe in the other. Uh, it's just the way it is. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man, birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things, Romans 1.23 says. When they knew God, they didn't want to glorify him as God. The world's not ignorant about God. When Eve were created, everybody knew there was only one God. The generations afterward, all one God. Methuselah lived the longest, 969 years. Everybody knew about God. When God judged the world, then you have Noah and his sons and daughter-in-laws and his wife. Everybody knew about God, and from there, the earth is repopulated. Everybody knew about God in the beginning, but they kept rejecting, 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 and they corrupted the image of God. No one's innocent, no one's a victim. Next, there's pantheism. is another distorted view which um, has dominated most of Indians, India's religions. Pantheism says that everything is God and does not separate God from nature. Um, The word comes from the Greek words, all is God. It's monism, in contrast to the Christian view of monotheism that believes in one God in three persons. Monism is everything is God. Okay? During the 70s, this philosophy permeated our society and many. Mixed biblical truths with lies, such as the Ch- children of God, the Moonies, um, of David Mosley's uh, children of God, and TM, and many others. Uh, the New Age movement is revived Hinduism, believing in avatar and uh, incarnation of God, either as Brahma, Vishnu, or Shiva, but neatly packaged in Western dress of crystals, spirit guides, and channelers. In fact, there's a movie that came out, Avatar, right? They have a movie out right now, Netflix, The Messiah. It's one of the avatars of the, of the gurus of, of Muslim, of Islam. It's all around, it's, it just mixes in and out. Often pantheism believes in the eternity of matter and spontaneous regeneration um, of life, which both are refused by science. Can't happen, Doesn't, it's not observable. If some of you are old enough to remember John Denver, Rocky Mountain High spoke of the unity and oneness of nature. Much of the 70s with the drug culture and everything else, the British invasion in the 60s. Nature gives evidence of God as creator, but it doesn't communicate the special revelation of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. General revelation, conscience, history, and creation. That tells you there is a God, doesn't tell you how you can be saved. Special revelation is the gospel that proclaims God sent his son to die for you, to pay the price of your sin. That's how you get saved. Pantheism puts God dependent on creation and subject to its curse. Christian science is a form of pantheism for they say God is all and all is God. Pantheism defies man by or deifies man by making him part of God. Even as Shirley MacLaine, some of you remember in the 80s and the 90s, as she stood on Malibu Beach and declared, I am God. Uh, she wrote a book, Broken Limb. out don't know, Broken Limb. Really, it should be the name of it. <laughs> it's been around for a long, long time. Pantheist. Claim Jesus was the first who came to a perfect realization of the great truth when he said, I and the Father are one. Just like the teaching today that all the Palestinians say that Jesus was a Palestinian. And he was not led to immigrate because he had to go to Egypt. (laughs) So they spiritualize and corrupt everything in the scriptures. No different. God is the creator and is separate from his creation, very clear in scripture. God is not a tree. God is not a mountain. God is not the sea. God is not the universe. God is not limited nor less than his creation. God is not dependent but independent of his creation. And God is greater than his creation, controlling and holding together the creation. He created everything. Nothing that you see and exist is apart from God. He is the source and origin of all things. That means that there is no dualism of good and evil as taught by Persian Sarastrianism or the Gnostics of the second century. You always have this contact between good and evil. Well, it doesn't exist. That's dualism. Even though Satan rebelled, he's a created being. He's not equal to God. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-present. Colossians 1.16 and 17 says, For by him, meaning Christ, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. That word consists, all things are held together by him. Everything that you're sitting on, everything that exists has the potential of exploding through the atom of the nucleus and the protons and the electrons and all of that. Scientists don't know what holds it together, but we learned how to split it and we got the atomic bomb, okay? Jesus is the one that holds all things together. Remember, 2 Peter 3.10 says that at the end of the thousand years, all things are going to burn up with fire. Jesus just releases the atoms. Gone. No big deal. Creation is his. Then you have materialism that teaches man is simply an animal and is not really responsible for his actions. Yet our conscience denies that. Where does a baby, little child get guilt conscious? Where does a young person get that? Now, you can callous your conscience after you do something enough times, pretty soon it doesn't bother you, but you start with a conscience. Life points to a life source. Design reveals a designer and purpose. The goal of materialism is to destroy morality and to have man live on the animal level through the religion of evolution and humanism. It's just a product of evolution. In fact, everybody uses those terms today. We are evolving. The music people do it. The movie people do it. The academics in the universities teach it. In fact, they teach in the university that your sexuality is not determined by your birth. That your sexuality will be determined somewhere down your journey because you are evolving. Same principle. Nothing new. Different package. If you came from nothing and are a product of nothing or of chance, and when you die, you return to nothing. Then people have no value. And man is not accountable to a creator for his conduct, right? As you live like the devil. You go around the gusto one time, right? You want to grab all you can, right? Wow. Today, many have believed this philosophy of life and teach it. And live it to their own destruction. Uh, listen to 1 Timothy 6, 3-10. through 10. If anyone teaches otherwise, other than the gospel, the word of the Lord Jesus Christ implying the relationship between God and man and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords which with godliness, in other words, lines up with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, Reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, corrupt minds, and death through the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. They teach that being a Christian, believing in God, you will be wealthy and healthy. The positive confession movement. The seed faith movement within the church. From such, withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can uh, carry nothing out, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a stare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed. Some have strayed. Believers, not non-believers, you're talking to Christians, from, they strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Very, very clear. This is 2,000 years ago. Once again, nothing has changed. Now the last is Deism which professes the existence of a personal God who created the world, but then withdrew himself and left it to govern itself by natural law. There's also a Christian called theistic evolutionists. Hugh Ross is one of them. He's very popular in the Christian scientific community. So that God began and then handed it over to evolution. That's, 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 that's I mean... You can't do that. It's impossible. It is also called, as I said, theistic evolution. Deism denies special revelation, miracles, and the providence that all truth about God can be discovered by reason. The Bible is just a book on the principles of natural religion. It's amazing. The scriptures declare that God is transcendent, beyond our reach, understanding, or knowledge but they equally teach that his presence is imminent in the world, active in the affairs of men, reaching man for salvation. Very, very clear. So once again, when people say something about the nature of God, you compare it to the plumb line, the word of God. It will expose it as true or error. Acts 17, 28, Paul says, For in him we live, we move, we have our being. That's believer and non-believer. Okay? He's the creator. God sent the son into the world. John 1 14. The Holy Spirit was sent by the Father, as well as by Jesus Christ. John fifteen twenty six And John 14, 15, and 16, all three chapters he speaks about the Holy Spirit. The age of reason in the 18th century produced much deism and deist. We mentioned in our last week's study, God was reasoned away. John Locke, man became his own God, small g. Voltaire and Thomas Paine, I'm sorry, Thomas Paine, not John Locke, were deists. The father of deism is Lord Herbert of Cherbury, 1581 to 1648. You have the Enlightenment period where man leans to reason, no longer the sciences come in, and God starts being pushed out completely in every way. And from there, the beginning of the 20th century became progressivism. Because the only way we're going to evolve to our full potential is if we progress getting away from this foolish notion of God that boxes you in and limits you in terms of your role and what you should do and what you should obey. And this just brings pride to its zenith and arrogant rebellion against God. So these are some of the erroneous views of the nature of God. Secondly, we have the biblical views of the nature of God. These come out of the revelation of God. First, John four twenty four God is spirit. God has nothing corporal, visible in substance or bodily form. He is spirit. He doesn't have eyes, hands, or feet. Um, Jesus stood in the midst of the disciples and affirmed what spirit is. In Luke 24, 37-39, it says, But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you doubt uh, doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet then it is I myself handle me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So God is spirit but Jesus the second person of the Trinity took on flesh for a set time limited himself for the incarnation but in his origin in his eternal state he is spirit jesus is the image of the invisible god colossians 1:15 says paul says unto the king invisible the only wise god in 1st 1 timothy 1:17 1 the book of hebrews says moses endured as seeing him who is invisible hebrews 11 Twenty-seven. take note that God being spirit then his worship by nature is to be in spirit and in truth that which he has revealed spirit refers to who we are really the real person that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam he breathed the breath of life and made him a living soul we're spirit, the real you. When you die, your body's gonna go back to the ground, whether you bury it or you barbecue it, it's up to you. And uh, your spirit's gonna be instant, present before the Lord, along with your uh, soul. Your soul is your intellect, emotion, and will. Okay? Many people try to say a dichotomy, we're just two, the, uh, the soul and the spirit are one, and then the body is the other one. No, it isn't. The Bible teaches a trichotomy body, soul, and spirit. There's a difference because you're born again, your body is like the non-believer, goes to the ground, but your spirit's alive and your soul now is subject to the spirit. The non-believer spirit is dead and his intellect, emotional wills are subject to the depraved nature. You have to have a trichotomy. can't make two of them one. Impossible. As Christians, we have been born again and regenerated and made alive by God's Spirit. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, dead and trespass and sins but God through the new birth. Truth refers to the Word of God, the revelation of himself, which reveals what he is and what he honors and what he accepts. Truth is revealed by him and him alone. Jesus told a woman at the well in Samaria, it was a necessity. Um, must worship God in spirit and in truth. He can accept no other form of worship. She said, but you know, we worship, you don't know what you worship. The Jews know what they worship. Yet there's coming a day when all will worship in spirit and in truth. Meaning the incarnation and that access salvation to all through Jesus Christ. Now, the Old Testament sacrifice were till the time of Reformation, we are told in Hebrews 9:10. Um, he's not localized in a certain place, He is everywhere at the same time as God. The um, local gods are subject to their hills and their valleys and their shrines and whatever it may be. Um, 2 Corinthians 2:6, or 2 Chronicles 2:6, says, The heavens and heaven of heavens cannot contain him. He is infinite. Man is finite. He's the creator. We're the creature that he created. Peter tells us that the believer is living stones and are built upon a spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 2.5, spiritual sacrifices according to the truth of revelation by God. Only by the Spirit of God can we know God or about God, for our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, 1 Corinthians 2, 12, um, down to 16, speaks about the believer being able to understand the things of God. Uh, the natural man cannot, and our bodies in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, is the temple of God. Before we were Christians, we did what we wanted with our body. We drank, we took drugs, we slept around, we did whatever. We, we did whatever we wanted. We worshiped ourselves. You know, people that go to the gym all the time. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a worship of self in many different ways. Nothing wrong with being fit, nothing wrong with exercising, okay? But you, you worship yourself in many ways. I mean, just go see these gym rats in front of them, the mirror. You know? It's amazing go on YouTube. That's amazing. Too many worship God in emotionalism and feelings instead of in spirit and truth. A lot of the extreme Pentecostal individuals that are never grounded in the word of God. They're led from one experience to another emotionally and and they conclude that the spirit, if you're not whipping it up and you're not rolling around the aisles or speaking in tongues that you really the Holy Spirit is not present if they were sitting here they would think this place is dead <laughs> then you got the Baptists on the other end that don't believe in the gifts at all and so we're, we're in the middle there we believe in the gifts but we believe they're decent and in order and according to the scriptures and, um, and we believe we need to judge everything by the word of God it's important what is meant when the Bible says that God created man in his image then? In Genesis 1.27. Likeness implies and specifies the meaning of image so as not to make man another like God, but a creation and faithful representative of God on the earth. The intellectual likeness Able to understand, think, and reason, for he gave man dominion over the earth and the animals by naming them in Genesis 128-219 and Psalm 8-5-8 confirms that. And so we can think, we can reason, we can assess, we can evaluate. We have a free will. We're moral agents of decision. God gave us these capacities as he has them. They're not infinite like his. We are not the origin of them, but he is the one that's given this to us. A moral likeness also for everything God made was very good, Genesis 1.31 said. Everything until the fall. When sin entered in. A potential for immortality also, it means. The day that you eat, You shall surely die, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. If Adam and Eve had not eaten, they would have lived eternally with God. And that's why God kicked them out of the garden and put an angel with a flaming sword so they don't walk back in, sneak in, eat of the tree of life, and eat in a fallen state, eternal, unable to be redeemed. It was the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the love of God that kept them out. It's also a potential of choice, as I said earlier, and free will. Every tree you may eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. So, Adam and Eve cannot blame God. Now, Calvinists blame God. The Calvinists teach that God decreed the fall of Adam because nothing can happen apart from God's decrees. So therefore, when Adam fell, it was by the decree of God. Because man has no free will at all. No Calvinist can ever give you free will. And if they do, they put it this way. You only have a free will to say no if you're not predestined. How's that free will? But the greater sin is that it makes God guilty of sin. The false attributed to God. He told Adam, the day you eat, you'll die. And then God judged him. And if we believe the Calvinist, that God made him fall. And yet God judges Adam for what God made him to do. Do you believe that? Of course not. It's foolish. But people buy it all the time. Calvinism is heresy, ladies and gentlemen. I've done a whole series on it. I take the tulip apart. It's a dead tulip. What does the New Testament say about the regenerated person? Paul says that the believer is said to be renewed in the knowledge after the image of Him who created him, Colossians 3:10. Paul says that the believer is exhorted to put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, Ephesians 4:23 and 24. That's the Christian. In the image and likeness of God means not in body or visible likeness, but in an intellectual and moral likeness, knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness, which the rest of creation is void of incapacity. Psalm 8, 4 through 9 tells us that clearly and many others. Stop and think the moral capacity that you had before you were a Christian compared to the capacity you have of morality now. Now, you had a free will on both unsaved and saved, right? Now, Who's living better, the old man or the new man? <laughs> it's the new man, right? By the regenerative spirit. Makes all the difference in the world. Therefore, God is unapproachable by man. That's a natural person. God told Moses, you cannot see my face, for there shall no man see me and live, Exodus 32, 20. God is so holy and pure that man in his present state, saved or not saved, could not endure such presence. Moses knows God. He says, take your feet, shoes off your feet, the place you stand is holy ground. And he covered his face. God deals in the light which no man can approach unto whom no man has seen nor can see, 1 Timothy 6.16 says. That's believer or non-believer. That's why we have to be glorified, our bodies, to be able to see God. That's why Jesus veiled his glory with a human body. Because if he didn't, everybody who looked at him would be consumed. Can't do it. God is said to be a consuming fire in Hebrews 12.29. Isaiah says, Woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean Lips, Isaiah 6, 5. Peter said, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Luke 5, 8. These were believers. You go before the presence of God, even in the veil glory that Jesus took, it was very evident who you were. There was not a question of who he was and who people were. God has manifested himself in a visible form. These are called Theophanies, some visible manifestation to give evidence that the presence of God is what you're seeing. We see some of these in the Old Testament. Remember, God has no physical likeness, for He is spirit. Okay, John 4 24, Colossians 1 15. Um, though God is often described in what's called anthropomorphic terms. Okay, anthropomorphic is a big word that says God uses human. Uh, descriptions to describe his actions, the hand of the Lord, the eye of the Lord. God doesn't have an arm, he doesn't have an eye, but he uses human terms to describe so we can understand his actions. Those are anthropomorphic terms in Scripture. Abraham saw a smoking flax and burning lamp and passed between the sacrifices in Genesis 15, 17. God used that smoking flax, that fire, to reveal that he was present and walking through the sacrifice. He himself would bring that covenant to pass. Anthropomorphism. God led the people by a cloud by day and fire by night in Exodus 40 38 to reveal the, the presence of God in the midst of them. God has manifested himself in Christophanies, also appearances of Christ prior to the New Testament incarnation. John says in John 1 18, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed or declared him. That means every time God appeared in the human form in the Old Testament, it was not the Father. It was Jesus Christ, or Christophany. The angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar in Genesis 69 and 10 and 22 and 11 and 12. That was Jesus Christ. Take note that the angel of the Lord is identified with God in verse 12 there. The angel of the Lord is usually the Christophany of the Old Testament, the appearance of Christ prior to the incarnation of the new. Abraham, you remember, was visited by three angels. Strangers, but they were angels. Two went down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and the other was God. Who? Christ. Genesis 18. In Judges, he appears to Gideon. Judges 6. In Judges, again Manoah, Samson's father, asked for the angel of the Lord's name, and he said, uh, it is secret, and the word is wonderful. In Judges 13. Isaiah, one of the prophetic names of the Christ child, was wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. Isaiah 9, 6. If you remember in Isaiah 6, it says that he saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Isaiah 1. Remember that passage? Listen to John's commentary. John tells us that Isaiah saw and spoke of Jesus Christ. John 12, 41. The New Testament is a commentary on the old. The New Testament interprets the old. The New Testament is in the Old Testament, but revealed as a fulfillment of Christ Jesus. So we get our commentary. The Jew said, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? (laughs) He says, before Abraham was, I am eternal. So when the Bible says that men saw God, it must be interpreted by the understanding in Scripture not by human reason. We are told that Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu and the 70 elders saw God in Exodus 24.10. We are told that Moses saw God's back part or afterglow in Exodus 33.24. These recorded events mean they saw a theophany, some visible manifestation of God to give evidence of his presence, but certainly not God himself, for no man can see God and live. The Bible uses anthropomorphic terms that are human qualities to describe God's actions, yet it does not mean that God has hands, eyes, feet, or a body. Very, very clear. Once again, the revelation is given by God about himself. We can't go beyond that. Now, God's nature of spirit is seen by his abhorrence of physical images to represent God. The explicit details of God's creation in Genesis are to simply communicate that he is the creator of everything. Everything is a product of himself, and no aspect of creation should ever be worshipped or feared. Okay, we have this picture in the old movies where they would cast a young woman, a virgin, and throw her in the volcano to appease it. They feared the creation, okay? And they thought could appease it through human sacrifices. I remember being in Mexico City, and I went to military school when I was, believe it or not, about five, six, six years old. And, um, and they would have the uh, Aztecs in the morning going through the whole thing, and how they would cut out the heart of the, uh, of the person living, alive and then offer it to the sun god to appease them. Okay? All these pagan religions. God's nature of spirit is seen by the abhorrence of these physical images to represent God. Um, Deuteronomy 4.19, it says, And take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord Yahweh your God has given to all the peoples of under the whole heaven as a heritage. It's for their benefit, not for them to fear or to worship it. Two times it is recorded in the Ten Commandments or on giving the Ten Words, not to make any image or likeness in heaven above earth, beneath, or in the waters. Exodus 20, verse 4, and Deuteronomy 5, 8. By the way, People argue about was those uh, days in Genesis a 24-hour day or the they geological ages stuff like that? The commentaries and the Ten Commandments. He created the and he rested on the seventh day, the Sabbath, 24-hour days, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, it's real simple. It's not that complicated. God cannot be duplicated in any form. God calls this idolatry, and all the prophets denounced idolatry. The principle is throughout the Scripture. Let me give you some. Isaiah forty-four fourteen through fifteen says, He cuts down cedars for himself, and he takes um, the cypress and the oak. He um, secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine, and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn, for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes. He kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. How stupid is that? You use some of the material to fuel your food, another one to sit on, and then you have some extra stuff left, so you make a god and you fall down and worship it. Wow. Ezekiel is told by God, to speak to the men of Israel who were seeking God, having set idols in their hearts and that he would answer them according to their idols in Ezekiel 14, verse 2 through 4. And you know, he takes to the temple and has the prophet go through that hole and he shows them the the worshiping of the creation. All the elders are bowing to the east, the worship of the sun. And they're worshiping all kinds of idolatry and pornographic things. Okay. Very, very clear. Romans speaks of the unwillingness to retain God and and change the glory of the incorruptible God into image and made like corruptible man, birds, four-footed beasts, creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness and lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. So God gave them up to vile passions and debase and reprobate minds. Romans 1, 23 through 28. And in that context, um, it's the fact is that they abused the natural use of the woman and the man with women with women, men with men. Very, very clearly. People say, well, the Bible says nothing about homosexuality. Really? That's like saying the motor vehicle code doesn't speak about driving. Come on. Let's be honest here. Jeremiah has much to say about idolatry. Jeremiah 10, 8. He says, "But they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish, a wooden idol is a worthless doctrine." Jeremiah ten fourteen, everyone is dull-hearted, without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by an image, for his molded image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. He says, Jeremiah two twenty-seven saying to a tree, you are my father and to the stone you gave birth to me for they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. Jeremiah 2.13, God declared, for my people are committed they have committed two evils. Listen carefully. They have forsaken me, the fountain no of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. A cistern was a cavern they carved out of stone and hoped that when the rains came they would get filled up and they'd have water in the, in the drought seasons. But they never knew if that cistern had a crack or not. And they could spend four or five years doing it in the first rain. Oh, great, it's full. They come back, the next day it's gone. All the work for nothing. Crack cisterns. They can hold no water. The scriptures are clear that no idolater will inherit the kingdom of God. Moses declared it in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 15 through 19 Take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form when the Lord Yahweh spoke to you on Horeb out of the myths of the fire. Lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure. The likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any uh, winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth, and take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, and all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord Yahweh your God has given to all the people under the whole heaven as a heritage. He goes and enumerates every little detail, every little item. The creation is not to be worshipped, but the creator. Moses records it in the book of Numbers, Numbers 12, 5 through 8. Then the Lord came down in the pillars of cloud and uh, stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Wow. Remember when Aaron and Miriam, and by the way, the text indicates Miriam was the troublemaker. So God struck her with leprosy. And Aaron pleaded for her. And he said, well, if someone spit in her face, wouldn't she be out of the camp for at least a day put her out? Interesting. Paul tells the Corinthians, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person, 1 Corinthians 5.11. You know that scripture? We don't think we're better. If you're a non-believer, you're my neighbor, and you invite me to a barbecue, I may go just to be a witness, okay? Even though you may have your beer and that, I'm not going to stay with until you get drunk or anything. But if you're a brother, and you invite me to a barbecue, and you're an idolater or you're a drunk or you're a fornicator, I won't go. Because if I go, then I'm being complicit with your sin. And I'm giving a bad representation of what a Christian is. There's a big difference, ladies and gentlemen. Paul tells the Ephesians, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. Ephesians 5.5 Idolatry is not a step towards God. Idolatry is a step away from God. This is the biblical view of the nature of God. Now, let's look at the third and last, the scriptural view of the personal nature of God because our God is very personal. God's personal nature is evident in salvation for relationship. Uh, John seventeen three. Jesus prayed to the Father, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He came down from heaven, listen, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us as we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 1. John 1, 14. The incarnation was the answer to Isaiah's prayer. Isaiah 64, 1. All that God would rent the heavens, tear them open. And come down. 600 years later, Jesus came down. <laughs> he reveals himself. He cannot be discovered by mere intellectual accomplishment or endeavors. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 20 through 24. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world or age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, though through wisdom, did not know God, It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached. Not the preaching of foolishness, but the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jew requests a sign, the Greeks, after wisdom. And we preach Christ crucified to the Jew a stumbling block and to the Gentile foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. God reveals himself. Paul again says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known him, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory, 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8. What Paul is saying there, listen, if the centurions, if all the people there at Galagos could have looked at Jesus and said, wow, he's God, don't touch him. But they can't conclude it by looking at him. If they would have concluded that, they would never touch him. But they couldn't. They thought he was just a man. They did not believe that he was God. Jesus said, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost, Matthew 18, 11. He said, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the ones to whom the Son wills to reveal him, Luke 10, 22. It's a personal relationship, a revelation. God makes Himself known. Jesus standing outside the church in the Book of Revelation, chapter three, verse twenty, He's knocking at the door of the heart of the people to let Him back in. They've kicked Him out of the church. I know it's used for evangelism, but that's Jesus asking people to go back if He can come back in. They've kicked Him out. His coming includes all of mankind. Whoever shall believe in Him, Genesis in John three sixteen. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. But God knows that not everybody will repent. Some of you heard the gospel, you repented. Some of your friends were with you. They did not repent. And to this day, they're not saved. It was a choice. God revealed his son to you, and you believed him, and you repented. Others, trying to figure it out intellectually, not open to the revelation of God, said, ah, stupid. One saved, the other one remains unsaved. God deals with us as individuals when we need comfort and strength as Christians now. Paul says he is the God of all comfort who comforts them in all their tribulations. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. You know exactly what that comfort is when you go through difficult times as you go to the Lord, as you wait upon him. Paul says he can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthened him in Philippians 4.13. Stop and think of the history of the church, the persecution, the murders, the atrocities that have happened to believers even today, in Iran. More people are coming to Iran in Islam than ever before. It's incredible what's going on. Paul was told by the Lord Jesus that his grace was sufficient for his thorn in the flesh, for his strength was made perfect in weakness, Second Corinthians twelve nine. Paul sought the Lord three times. God said, I don't want to talk about this no more. My strength is sufficient, my grace. Wow. Peter tells us that we are to commit ourselves to God in our sufferings as, listen, a faithful creator, First Peter 4.19. In our suffering, God's personal nature is seen in his names. The title of God, Elohim, represents the creator who is a, has purpose and a goal for those he creates. On the very first verse of Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. The name Yahweh appears in all capital letters. Capital L-O-R-D. This is his covenant name to Moses. It comes from the verb to be. He will be all and anything we allow him to be, touching the past, the present, or the future. He doesn't force himself upon us. The pronunciation is believed to be Yahweh or Yahweh, from the consonant Y-H-W-H called the tetragrammaton, big old word, due to the fact that it is impossible to pronounce it and because there are no vowels in it. They're all consonants. The name of God was so revered that they did not even write or pronounce it, the priest. That's why we don't know how it's pronounced. Now, God didn't tell them to not pronounce it. God wanted them to know who he was, but they just thought their own being. It was just so holy that they didn't do it. The phrase, I am, that I am, is a verb form of becoming one. Whatever our need may be, he'll be that. The title Adonai represents the Lord, has the idea of master controller, the one who rules your personal life. The word father is used for the relationship of the family of God that comes as one, accepts Christ Jesus, Lord and Savior, and becomes joined with Jesus Christ. But uh, nowhere in the Old Testament is ever, ever, ever a Jew called God father. Nowhere in the Old Testament. The fatherhood of God is always towards the nation not an individual. It's not to the New Testament that we are able to call God Father. Search it out. The name Yahweh Rapha means the Lord that heals, Exodus 15, 26. Yahweh Shalom means the Lord our peace, Judges 6, 24. Yahweh Rapha means the Lord my shepherd, Psalm 23, 1. Yahweh Tzidkenu means the Lord our righteousness, Jeremiah 23, 6. Yahweh Shuma means the Lord is there, Ezekiel forty four thirty five 35, and so many other titles and names that he has. Names have character, titles, authority, dominion. God desires you to know and I the nature of God and that you might know him in a personal way. That's the whole reason of him revealing himself. The place to go is the Bible. The Bible alone reveals the truth about God. God is not the creation, but the one who created all things and is greater than everything he created. You stop and think of the power of the sun. I mean, it could go on for millions of years. And the one who created it is much more powerful than that. Amazing. God created you in his image and likeness, but Adam and Eve fell in the garden. And therefore, God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, that we might become the righteous of God in him, and that we not perish, believing God's revelation that he sent his son in my place, and therefore I'm able to worship him. John 3.16, the invitation is to all. None is excluded, but many will perish because they reject that message. He wants everything that you need to come from him. He wants you and I to be at the foot of his throne as often as we need to. And worship, not just when we need things, but to worship him, to acknowledge him as the word of God reveals to him as he is. And so this is the scriptural view of the personal nature of God. So he's not far out there, he's not disconnected with his creation, but he is very close and involved in his creation. And he is seeking to save those who are lost, to make them children of God. Robert Jathro, Jastrow. Head of the Gardner Institute of NASA said, and I'm quoting him, I am an agnostic, but the fact of science have shown in the beginning God. Pretty heavy from the head of, <laughs> of the Institute of NASA. So these three aspects regarding the nature of God should help each of us to walk with God according to the truth of Scripture. We have answers to give to people when they come up with their religious belief or their philosophical understanding, whatever it may be, evolution, whatever. doesn't matter. The erroneous views of the nature of God are many. The biblical views of the nature of God are very clear, and the scriptural view of the personal nature of God cannot be missed if you read the Bible. Impossible. And so God's made it easy for us. Remember you were in school and the teacher said, okay, you can have a test. I don't want you to look in the back of the book for the answers. And what do you do? God says this, when people ask you something and you don't know, please look in the book. Cheat all you want. Give them my word, not your opinion. Father, we worship you. We thank you for your grace and love, your goodness. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for the wealth that you've given to us, Lord, in your word. And I thank you for every person here and those who are listening over the internet, Lord, and the radio. You would make yourself known to those who do not know you, Lord, how much you love them and how you sent your son to die. They might call on your name and you for, forgive them for their sins, Lord. And as you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, here or maybe over out there somewhere on the internet or through the radio, that you can call on Jesus right now. If you believe that he's God who became man, died for your sins, and rose from the dead, you can be saved by calling on his name, repenting of your sin, asking him to save you and forgive you of your sin. He will do exactly that. A prayer of simple repentance is all he requires. This is your prayer if you want to be born again. You're praying to Jesus, not to us. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.